it's really important for you as the mentor to come into those scenarios with a non-judgmental mind of saying, you know what, they're asking this question because it's going to be a learning opportunity, not because they're challenging you as a doctor. Welcome back to That Vet Life Podcast. This is a podcast created for veterinary mentors and mentees. I am your host, Dr. Mariah McCauley. I am a small animal general practitioner and the host of this here podcast. So this week on the podcast, we are looking at part two of the questions that I put out on an Instagram poll not too long ago, where the first part of that question was, what are the characteristics of a good mentee? And then the second half, what are the characteristics of a good mentor? Now remember, this is not a peer-reviewed bit of research. This is just what I'm getting as feedback from you guys from the Vetstagram community. But it is a good snapshot and it provides a good basis for conversation starting. So that's what we're going to look at today on the episode. So let's get into it. All right, you guys. So welcome back to the podcast. We are looking at part two of this Instagram poll, which not too long ago in the past, I put out a question to y'all. And essentially what I asked was, okay, what would you define as the good characteristics of a good mentee? Which we looked at that in the last episode. So if you're like, Dr. McCauley, I have no idea what you're talking about, or you want a refresher, go listen to that episode. I'll wait right here. I'm not going anywhere. Okay, you back? You listen? Okay. So like I said, this week on the podcast, we're looking at part two of that question of what are the characteristics of a good mentor? Now, one thing that is kind of important to remember when we're looking at this question, at least here on the episode today, is that the responses that I got came mostly from people that are in my current position. So people that are new in the profession, they're recent grads or they're veterinary students. I did get a few sprinklings of people who are five years plus in the profession, but the majority of the responses came from people that are looking for mentorship. So that is um, a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. So when I put this question out there, y'all came back with some great answers and I put them in ranking of the most common or most frequently responded answers first. So diving right into it, what you guys said were the characteristics of a good mentor. This is not an all-inclusive list. This is just the most common um, answers that I got. So the number one response that I got as the the best characteristics of a good mentor, the number one answer that I got was that they are open-minded. Number two being non-judgmental. Three, I mean, encouraging. And then we have things like empathetic. They're patient. They involve you um, being the mentee. So these were all the the different responses that I got. And again, number one thing was that they were open-minded. But one thing I want to point out, again, this is not an all-inclusive list, but one thing that I did not get at all, an answer I did not see, was that a good mentor is knowledgeable, that they know all the things, that they um, have a wealth of information. Nope, that's not what I got. Everything that I got that describes a good mentor has to do with those leadership skills, those communication skills, those people skills. Those are the things that mentees are looking for in their mentor. That's really important for us or even for myself as a mentor to really keep in mind when I have mentees coming to my practice. And it's a good, humbling experience to really look at that list because I know 
even as mentors, we still deal with imposter syndrome. We still feel that when we have a mentee, we're like, oh my goodness, or at least this is my own personal thought process is I have to have an answer for every single question that they ask. Ha! That's hilarious. Because like this is a really terrible comparison, but I feel like it gets the point across pretty strongly. When you have a mentee, like they are someone who's there to learn, to glean knowledge and skills. And so in a way, they're very similar to having a small child with you in that you're expecting them to ask a lot of questions, not necessarily questions that are super well thought out every time. We'll go into that a little bit more. But like small children, they throw a lot of random questions at you. And a lot of times you're like, I don't actually have a good answer for that. Um, and in a similar way, when you have a mentee, they're going to throw a lot of questions at you. Some of them you're going to not even think about. You might get that question. You'd be like, I didn't even think that could be a question, but okay, we're going to go with it. And these are all really good, good things because A, they are looking at things from a different perspective than you. So of course, they're going to have questions that you didn't think to ask. But these kind of questions are going to be the things that make you a better communicator, a better leader, a better veterinarian, a better human. <laughs> so there's a lot of value in that. But going back to the whole topic of imposter syndrome, like, yeah, you're still going to deal with that as a mentor, but it's okay. You don't have to know the answer to every single question that they ask. That was the very long-winded answer to that topic. So you do not have to know everything as a mentor. That's the, the big takeaway from this list. <laughs> the other big takeaway is, okay, so you, like the when they're looking for mentorship and they're looking for a good quality mentor, remember, they want you to be open-minded. Now, what does that mean, you may ask? So looking from a story from my own personal experience, I have a mentor who is many, 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 many years removed from my current situation in veterinary medicine. He's been through many, 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 many years more of veterinary medicine than I have. So we come from different life stages. We come from different levels of experience. We've been in different types of practices. So... There's a generational gap, I guess is what I'm getting at. Generational gap, there's definitely some stereotypes that go into those uh, that level of divide that can be there. So in some senses, there is a little bit of a generational stereotype about the way certain things should be done. And I am very fortunate in a way to have the mentor that I do have because we've had some really good conversations about why we do things the way that we do. And yeah, it's just been very beneficial for my own growth and for his own growth as well. But one of those generational stereotypes is that the older generations are not as open-minded, that they're not as open to new ideas or new ways of doing things. And this is something that, honestly, it's not a generational thing. It's not something that if you have someone who's been in practice for 40 years, it's going to be any different than, say, someone who's been in practice for five years. There are definitely, there are things that you have, patterns of behavior that you have set in your daily practices that you are not necessarily going to want someone to challenge you on. I don't know how the best way to say this per se, but... There are things that you do in your daily practices that someone who's just graduated or is new in the profession, they probably have learned it a different way or they've learned different skills of how to approach it. 
And it is important for you as the mentor, I guess this is where I was going with all of this. Thank you for following my train of thought (laughs) or not following and just coming along for the ride. But, uh, goodness, lost my train of thought. (laughs) This is the problem with solo episoding, you guys. Okay, so say you like, this is like closing the, the body wall or closing the skin. Everyone has slightly different ways that they do this. Now, you may have a, a new student come in and they're from a certain university, which every university teaches these skin closures a little bit different, I have found. And they may come in and they're like, well, why do you do it this way? I was taught to do it this way. And this is an opportunity where, or if this is just one example of where a mentee may find a mentor being closed-minded of being like, well, I've done it this way for this many years. Why would I change it? And yes, there is value in that. You found a way that works for you. There's not necessarily a reason for you to change it. However, this is the opportunity that opens the conversations, not just for this one specific case or scenario. This is something that will transcend all the other different interactions that you have with that mentee in the different cases that you deal with. So just uh, taking that into account. So in this moment, you have two options. You can say, well, I've done it this way. I'm going to keep doing it this way. Or you can say, huh, This person has learned a different way of doing it. They want to share that knowledge with me. They want to grow and bond with me over this. So you may say, well, I'm really interested to see what your university is teaching you. I'm going to, or maybe for this one scenario, you say, let me show you how I do it here, closing this, and then let's go grab the skin pad. And then you can show me how your university taught you how to close skin. And depending on what you see there, you may say, you know what, you feel pretty confident with this. I'm going to let you close the next um, surgery with that skin closure. Or you may use that, that opportunity on the skin pad as a learning opportunity for you and your mentee. It's going to open up a whole new textbook, if you will, <laughs> of opportunities. So that is just one little tiny example. And this is something that, again, will transcend all the different scenarios that you encounter. So this might be how you handle something behaviorally with a patient or with a client. These are all just little learning opportunities. And it's really important for you as the mentor to come into these learning opportunities with an open mind, with an open mind of saying, you know what, I have a way that I'm really comfortable with doesn't mean it's the best way for every single scenario. This new student coming in, just be, again, just because they have a new idea doesn't mean it's the right idea for that scenario right at that moment. However, that is a learning opportunity, a growth opportunity for both you, for you and your mentee and your team, because this is something that maybe it's not right for that scenario, but maybe it'll be a good option for the next scenario. And it's also an opportunity for your team to learn something from this mentee and also from you. So remember that it's not, nothing is done in isolation. There's always someone watching. There's always someone in the environment with you. So keeping that in mind. And along those lines of being open-minded is being non-judgmental. So it is really easy in our type A mentalities of being veterinarians, of being mentors even sometimes, of feeling like someone is challenging you or attacking you for having a different idea. 
And this is something that is a little bit ingrained in us from even back as early as like grade school, we've seen this. But it is also a little bit of the the dog-eat-dog world that we've had so far in the veterinary profession. It's something that does need to change, but it is also just a bit of human nature in that we will look at challenges or look at differences as a challenge. I guess that's a way to look at it. So again, one of those examples of maybe you have a certain treatment protocol for a a case that comes in like ears or skin, and the student may ask, well, why do you do it that way? And of course, it's very important to remember that just because they're asking, why do you do it that way, does not mean that they're challenging you or saying, you're doing it wrong because I learned it a different way in the ivory tower of vet school, which, yeah, sure, you might have some students who take the ivory tower as a as the Bible, <laughs> and need a little bit more experience in general practice or in, or just in real life veterinary medicine to understand the different spectrum of care that is provided. So learning opportunity for both, but it's really important for you as the mentor to come into those scenarios with a non-judgmental mind of saying, you know what, they're asking this question because it's going to be a learning opportunity, not because they're challenging you as a doctor, as a veterinarian. And from there, it'll change your mindset as to how you respond, as to how you teach. And again, that impacts you, impacts your patient, impacts your mentee, impacts the team positively. So all these things do come around full circle. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VetX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession. Much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VetX community. The Thrive Community is a race-accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits, and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, visit vetxinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. All right. So those are some of the like the different characteristics that we see. And I, I apologize, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole there. But going back to that Instagram poll that I did, outside of asking like what are the good characteristics of a good mentor, I also asked about your mentorship experiences. Um, I asked if it was positive, if it was negative, what made it positive, what made it negative, and in those polls I put, was it your colleagues? Was it your mentors? Was it the practice management? Like what made it good? What made it bad? And interestingly enough, I, I added the mentor to both the positive and the negative side. And the responses for the mentor component as to whether it was good or bad of the positive ones, 25% of people said their mentor made it a positive experience and 26% said that the mentor made it a negative experience. So that's a 
pretty good chunk of your experience as a mentee comes from your mentor. And that makes sense. They're the person that is interact or supposed to be interacting with you the most or and having the the biggest impact on your mentorship experience. So you as the mentor, you have a pretty big role in how this mentee views your practice, views veterinary medicine, views you. So this is something that should not be taken lightly as a role of a mentor. So let's look at the question of who should be a mentor. And of course, the the big fluffy answer that is kind of across the board is technically we're all mentors. Yes, indeed. We are in, in all mentors to some capacity. And uh, this is something where I could dive into the plus, minus, and equals mentorship, which I'll just give a brief overview. So the plus, minus, and equal mentorship model is that at any point in your career, essentially, you should have someone who's plus, more experienced, more knowledgeable than you to be a mentor. You should be mentoring those who are less experienced, less knowledgeable. And then you should be both mentored and mentoring those who are at a similar level than as you, so your peers. And that's a, a more general sense of learning, of being a mentor, being a mentee. But the question of should you be a mentor, that is looking at should you be a titled mentor? So someone who actually has the title of a clinical mentor or someone who when like they're introducing you to someone else will be like, oh yeah, this is such and such mentor. That is a, a good, really, really good question to be asking of yourself because the truth of the matter is not everybody should be or nor do they want to be a titled mentor. So A, what does that look like? Typically, this will be someone who in your clinic, they have the title of mentor. They're the person who's responsible for organizing the mentees who come through your practice, organizing the programs. If you're in a corporate practice, they're the ones who's speaking to the headquarters about how your mentees are doing. Like They are in the nitty gritty and they're actually hands on. Now, not everybody should be in that role. Um, This is something that I'm definitely in the process of learning how to better define this and how to better help people decide if they should be in this or not. So should you be a titled mentor? Now, the first thing that like is really important, of course, like is you actually have to enjoy teaching. You have to enjoy being put in awkward situations by your mentees and like it has to be something that you inherently do enjoy. If you do not enjoy taking the time to teach people or have someone following around, then maybe it's not the best fit for you, honestly, despite the fact that there's sometimes some stipends that are put in there for certain for mentors or mentorship programs. Like that's not enough to make you decide, yeah, I should be a mentor. Or if you think I've been in practice for 30, 40 plus years, I should definitely be a mentor because I have a lot of experience and knowledge. Not necessarily. If you really are not enjoying the mentorship process or, yeah, if you're really not enjoying it, if you um, are really struggling with being a mentor, then maybe it's not the best fit for you. And that is okay. That's really okay to accept that. So the people that really should be a mentor are the people that inherently enjoy teaching. They enjoy coming up with new ways of practicing things, learning new techniques, getting things wrong, honestly, as a mentor. Like that's a part of it. 
I know for myself, I had so much fun this past like mentor season, I guess you could call it when students are off from school and they have more time to come to the practice. I really enjoy like learning the difference, the differences between the universities. I was making all of these different like ultrasound phantoms. I posted that on Instagram. That was insanely fun getting to practice and trial different ones with the students. There was definitely one where I tried to put a water balloon in it. Uh, it failed miserably. It was hilarious. But that like that was the whole process that I just enjoyed. And the students really had fun coming up with these different ways of learning and practicing things. And so that was just inherently fun for me. I also am the person in my practice where I potentially have the most time or I was able to create the most time for these mentees and really take the time at lunch to get to know them and ask the questions and track their growth over the time that they were there. So I was able to invest the most of myself into the role and I really enjoyed it. So for me, this has been a good fit so far and it's been a really awesome learning opportunity on my leadership skills, on my communication skills. There's definitely so much more for me to learn. But the feedback that I'm getting from the students on the experience tells me, all right, yeah, this is a good fit for me. And so for you, like if you really want to be a mentor and you really enjoy teaching, then yeah, look into it. Ask the questions. So what are the questions that you should ask? How do you become a titled mentor in your practice? Well, there's not really any like regulation. So technically you could just call yourself a titled mentor, but I would recommend first really diving into what it means to be a mentor. And this is where that big question and actually the title for this episode comes from is who's like, how do you become a mentor? Who teaches you to become a mentor? How do you continue to sharpen your skills as a mentor? Because one of the big challenges that I see in veterinary medicine is you have these people that they've been in practice for so many years. They have skills. They have knowledge. They're just calling themselves a mentor. And that's it. They're not necessarily trying to learn how to do it better. They're not trying to learn how to sharpen their skills and that is where I feel like we hit a roadblock. So I asked the question, like, who is mentoring these mentors? Who is helping them become better teachers of these mentees to ignite that passion that they have for veterinary medicine and accelerate their learning while also accelerating the learning of the mentor? So this is where I say, if you have any inkling that you want to be a mentor, you should dive headfirst into it first off <laughs> and really ask the hard questions. So what that looks like is going to these veterinary conferences that are targeted for mentors. So they are going to be topics of leadership, topics of communication, topics of clinic culture, like all of these things that are not necessarily medicine or clinical skills. This is what's going to make you a good quality mentor accelerate your own learning, but then also sets you on a trajectory of continued learning. That is the the biggest thing, is having continued education for mentors. So a little bit of a soapbox, here we go, is the Veterinary Leadership Conference. This is one little tiny conference that is like insanely awesome. I went to this past year, we've had a number of guests from that conference come and talk on the podcast, which is how much I freaking love it. Going back this coming year, actually speaking at it, whoot, um, little tiny detail there. But this is where like everybody who 
wants to be a mentor, like all of the, like not all the talks, but good majority of the talks are on communication, on leadership, on clinic culture. We want to see each other succeed in the role of a mentor because we care about this profession. We care about the students who are coming into it and we want to make it better than it has been in the past. Like this is the thing that ignites the passion for being a mentor, continues to ask the hard questions of what it means to be a mentor, and how do we improve that role for future generations? So again, that's my little soapbox on the Veterinary Leadership Conference. If you have any idea that you maybe want to be a good a mentor, go to that conference. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to be networking with other good quality mentors who can help you grow and support you in your trajectory as a mentor. So that's what I would say. Because again, like just because you're a mentor doesn't mean you stop learning. You should always, again, even if you're a mentor, still have someone who is mentoring you, that plus part of the plus minus and equals mentorship, boop, boop, right there. So that would be one of the big things is going to conferences, networking, growing that network of other mentors. Other things that you can do is if you're in a corporate practice, a lot of times they will have some form of mentor training, or at least they should. If they don't, maybe you should start one. Then also like get yourself some good books. There are a ton of leadership books out there. I actually did a post on it not too long ago. I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately, just to, again, help widen your breadth of knowledge and understanding of what good mentorship looks like. So with the last question that I have is, other than how do you become a good mentor or should you become a good mentor, is within that mentorship role, like there's still a lot that you need to define. And not everybody's going to be the same type of mentor, and that's okay. But it's really important for you to define your capacity. Like, what is your 100% as a mentor within your practice? And a lot of that then comes down to deciding, okay, when I have a mentee that is at the practice, how much of my time is devoted to physically sitting down with that mentee, maybe over lunch or maybe blocking off part of your schedule so that you can focus on certain skills or allow them to ask certain questions? Do you have a few catch-up blocks in your schedule? Like, how are you modifying your time so that you can be intentional about mentoring this mentee that's in practice? And then also saying, how many mentees can I support in the course of a year, in the course of a quarter? These are all really important questions that you need to ask in order to set yourself, your team, and your mentee up for success. And I could go into a whole on episode on this, but I feel like um, that's for another episode. <laughs> it's not for this episode here today. So hopefully today's episode, if you are looking to be a good mentor or looking to be a mentor period in your practice, this opened up a few questions that you can ask yourself, that you can sit down and talk with your manager about. So essentially, like, like remember, mentees are not looking for someone who has a wide breadth of knowledge and skills per se. If you have that, that's awesome. But what they really want is someone who can communicate with them on a human level, who genuinely cares about seeing them learn, that you're open-minded, that you are taking each of those questions as a learning opportunity, that you're excited that they're asking these questions, that you encourage them to do so and keep widening those skills. Like that's what they really want because you as the mentor, you play a huge role in this mentee's growth as a veterinarian, as a human and animal carer. So like take that role seriously. 
don't just have a mentee come and shadow and not talk to them. Like that's not a good mentor. So like really take this with both hands and continue to learn as a mentor. Like don't just call yourself a mentor and be done with it. Like this is something that you should be striving to constantly grow in, constantly learn in. Because again, like this profession, that's no secret that there are challenges. We know that the lack of good mentorship in a practice is like the primary reason that new graduates will leave their job within the first 12 months. So we should definitely be taking mentorship seriously. And so hopefully this episode opened up a good few questions for you. Go to conferences, go get some books. If you have any questions, definitely reach out. We have an awesome network of mentors within the Vetstagram community. So I, I highly recommend you go and check that out. Also join the VetX International community. Lots of great mentors there. You can ask all the questions that you want to. And there's it's just an open floor for growth. So go ahead and join that community there. But with that, I'm going to say thank you for listening, you guys. And I look forward to speaking with you next week. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Bet Life.